0: Welcome to the UNT-BSM Audio Resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to UNTBSM.com. Thanks for listening. Stephanie sort the cast of vision for me about um, kind of starting off with the gospel. So I want to talk about the gospel and the evangelist. So um, how the gospel applies to us as those... ...who are called to be witnesses for Christ. Um, Not a how to share the gospel. Again, you guys are going to get all kinds of tools for that. um, And I could give you that. But, you know, some of you, um, a a lot of you know, you know, basically what to say or whatever. um, But really how the gospel frees us to be three kinds of people. Three kinds of evangelists, all right? Three C's. Not because our church is C3, but it just happened to work out that way. Um, courageous, caring, and confident. All right? Courageous, caring, and confident. So um, to, to really kind of help that out, I want to introduce you to three friends of mine. And you probably know them, and they may be you. I know they're me as well sometimes. Um, and this is a little cheesy, um, but I'm 38, and I have four children, and I'm just a dad. So I'm allowed to be just a dad. All right? So allow me to be nerd dad here Um, But these are the opposite of courageous, caring, and confident, all right? The things that, these three people that I'm going to tell you about. And they represent us at different times when it comes to evangelists, evangelism. So for our our first friend is Fearful Freddie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just really helps me to think through it, and so that's the way we're going to do it. Um, Freddie rarely shares the gospel. Um, He doesn't want people to think that he's being too pushy. Uh, if he uh, speaks the truth, and people might reject him, and this leads him to uh, pass up really obvious opportunities, or not even see them because he's so focused on himself. Um, it also leads him uh, to, if he does share the gospel, to sort of leave the hard parts out, right? To take the edges off of the gospel because he wants to be cool, right? I mean, we see this a lot uh, with uh, in, in the evangelical church movement, which. Um, if you are a Baptist and you're evangelical, I don't know if you, some of you don't identify as anything, but people who believe the Bible believe you got to be born again, all these things, people are trying to make Jesus cooler. All right. And so, and that's out of fear. Um, that's fearful Freddie that's doing that. Uh, and so the next one is apathetic Angelica. <laughs> she doesn't mind sharing the gospel, but she just doesn't like being around the kind of people who need it. Right. Um, she's like the Pharisee who says, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector, instead of understanding herself as a tax collector. And so this leads to a refusal to build the necessary relationships with the broken people that she looks down on. This is apathetic Angelica. Um, Not to mention the fact that that someone who is going to perish for eternity absolutely does nothing to her uh, at all. It doesn't move her in any way. Um, and um, the last one is Manipulative Martha. These are our three friends. Um, she does evangelism all the time because she doesn't want someone to go to hell. So she has the motto, I want to make heaven fuller and hell emptier. And that's the way she operates. Um, and again, of course, in, in, in principle, that's great. I mean, who wants more people in hell? We want people to go to heaven. We want people to meet Jesus. But this sort of pressure that she puts on herself leads her to push for someone to make a decision for Christ. Right? And so she's out there, if I can just get a scalp, if I can just get, get something to nail to the wall. So she sees herself as a closer. Right? She's there to close the deal, to make sure someone uh, becomes a Christian. that also leads, though, to a fearfulness that she's going to blow it. Right? Like she wants to make sure that she has all the right answers. And so sometimes she won't share the gospel with people because they might know more than her. Or they might, uh, might ask questions that she won't be able to answer. Or she'll say the wrong thing and end up sort of having this person's eternity on her hands. All right. So this is manipulative Martha. And uh, and so I guess just as way of discussion, maybe an interactive time, which one do you tend to? And I know there are others. Um, but fearful, Freddy, apathetic Angelica, and manipulative Martha, which one uh, do you tend towards when it comes to the idea of doing Let me hear a couple of you. Any brave souls? Yes, ma'am. I think I tend towards of Martha, thinking it's all on me a lot. Good. That can often lead to the first one too. I'm scared because you think. I'm afraid. Yeah. So there's a fear involved, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Different kind of fear, Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly a fear. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I would, def- I would definitely say the same. And, like, mainly for, like, the fear of, like, oh, I may not have enough knowledge or someone might like, be able to, like, back up something that I can't, you know, mm. just, yeah, kind of put on me. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who wasn't a believer and you just get totally stumped? Mm-hmm. Man, you're just like, oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Realizing like I just need the Lord do doing and not put so much pressure on myself because yeah. like, I can't change them. Mm, it's good. Got to be a closer. Yeah, what's up? I think I'm a fearful Freddy because I'm afraid of what people think of me, um, so i will like watered down and trying to make it sound cool. Amen. Because uh, I'm scared of what they think. Amen. That's good. Yeah, and some of the things I'm going to say here are going to hurt fearful Freddies, and I'm a fearful Freddy. and I'm a pastor. And I do evangelism all the time. that um, I, I want there's certain people that like my dad. I finally, after I've been a Christian since I was 21, got saved at UNT college. life, didn't Bible, um, and uh, right when I became a believer, I, I was the most on fire evangelist. And and even as I was still smoking pot and drinking and getting drunk with my buddies, I was telling them about Jesus. Now it probably wasn't a good, it wasn't a good idea, and they did they saw right through it, but. That's where I was. And so I was real hardcore with my parents. And it was last Friday. Let's see, I'm 38, 17 years later, it was the last, the next time I said anything to my dad about God. Personally, like in an inner like in a conversation. Because there was fear there.
1: Really strange.
0: Um, now he, he'd come to church, I'd preach to him a whole bunch of times. They'd come on Easter, and they come on and I'm just like, Dad, let's just get it, let's just let's get it on the table. What do you believe about Jesus? And he's like, Oh, yeah, i Um, But anyways, uh, so I'm with you. Um, Anybody else? One more person. Great great feedback. Great responses. I feel like I tend towards the fearful Freddie too because like, especially with my roommate, I know that he's not a believer and I've shared the gospel with him a few times and he always seems to have deeper questions that I don't know the answer to. So I lead it up to that, and then I'm afraid to like ruin the situation between us. Like, mm, there's going to be some awkwardness in the air tonight. That's I don't good. want that. Man, <laughs> yeah, that's good. And this this is a little bit off script, but I think that brings up a lot of uh, a lot of the, the issues and events. I maybe I should have done this, but um, I think a lot of the times we feel like. Uh, or, or we fail to realize that a lot of the intellectual objections or the questions, really they, those all boil down to uh, emotional issues. And I don't mean they're emotionally disturbed. I mean like, you know, like he's got emotional issues. But it's like it's an emotional thing. It's a heart thing. It's a, it's a like, you know, someone who struggles to believe like Calvinism, for, for instance. It's not about predestination and all this stuff. It's about, what about my sister who's never heard the gospel? What about these people that I care about? You know, so it's those kinds of questions. And so, for example, like, a guy I used to disciple when I was in college, um, I was probably 23. He was 19, young guy. um, He uh, was a believer on fire for Jesus. And the guy now is a a PhD candidate in early Christian studies in a complete, uh, Roman military history. And completely and totally devoted to discrediting Christianity. Um, and he, we, we, had this huge Facebook exchange. I, I don't want to, I hate doing that, but I said something on Facebook, and so he said something, and I was like, "Well, then I got to say something," and blah blah blah. And it was this really long thing. But then after, and, and, and after long discussion, it came down that he had heart. He had issues with God allowing evil. Yeah, you know, I mean, it just came down to him. To that. And what, all these other things, these doubts, these intellectual issues are stemming from this one place of God is suspect to me. And so it's in those areas of emotion and, and where people are, spirit, like, that's where the Spirit does work. You know what I mean? And so that's where we can be confident and speak to heart, speak to their hearts and, 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 and love them through uh, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, not, hey, you get to go to heaven, or hey, Jesus really is alive. That is true. I mean, of course He is, but it's What about the existential issues that you wrestle with as a non-believer because you're a human being? Like fear and um, anger and all these other things that everybody wrestles with. What about those? That's where the gospel really gets in there and does some heavy lifting in people's lives. There is an intellectual component, of course. It's intellectually credible. But it's also incredibly existentially satisfying. So in my preaching of the gospel, I want to go there. Anytime time someone starts talking about proof, I'm like, you know what, we can go there all day long, but then you'll give your proof, and then I'll give my proof, and we'll do this. Let's talk about really what our basic presuppositions are about the world. About uh, Did you have your hand up, brother? I was just going to add, I realize this isn't actually about beach reach, but those that are going on beach reach, that's when the emotions really are like, everyone's drunk, and so all their emotions come out. Yeah. And so that, you can really key into that if you're talking to people. Mm-hmm. Even on campus people are. Uh, listen, an all week of partying is when dreams come crashing down. Um, and when you realize, this is it. That's, how, that's when I got saved. I was at a Lambda Chi party, uh, watching the door, making sure that they didn't bring bottles in. Uh, and then I drank the bottles. And then I was like, and I'm sitting there and like, this is it? I got to go to Denton Bible Church tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. To, the prayer, to prayer, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and so so I didn't fall asleep and miss it. I stayed up all night playing Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> on the a Super Nintendo. <laughs> so dreams come crashing down at beach reach, okay? Um, and so like this is they're human, like we're human. They're the same. They have the same fears that you do, same fears that I do, right? Um, and so we got to make the gospel human. I will never, I will never forget how bizarre Jesus and the resurrection, all that seemed to me on the other side of, of faith. Uh, you got to realize that people think this is very weird on the surface. And so if you don't deal with some very fundamental human issues and show how the gospel applies to them, um, you're, you're really not able to reach, you're not reaching them. Okay? Um, and so, uh, or you're going to, it's going to be a tougher time reaching them. Alright, so anyways, that's a freebie. Um, let's uh, move on. Um, so I want to talk about the flesh. Alright, the biggest enemy to evangelism is the flesh. Now what is the flesh? Um, the flesh is that part of our hearts that doesn't believe. Okay? It's what Paul calls the old man. Right? Um, and it's the flesh uh, that it's the reality of the flesh that means instead of being courageous and caring and confident, that we're going to easily become afraid and self righteous and manipulative or, or apathetic and manipulative, right? And so the, if that all comes from the flesh, um, it's, it's who we are on our own outside of the renewal of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, it's that part of us, uh, that used to rule us when, before we trusted Jesus. All right. So if you can imagine, um, this government that the heart has a government over it. Um, and before you met Jesus, the government was you. It was the flesh. It was a flesh that was opposed to God. It did not want to honor God. It was all about its own glory. It was all about self-centeredness, right? So this is the flesh. This is what's happening when. Uh, so uh, it, this is what's happening when we don't trust God. When we don't love God, it's the flesh that says, "No, give me. I want to do me." Right? Not you. Not you. The universe isn't about you. The universe is about me. Like sin fundamentally um, is not a bunch of actions that we do. Um, it's it's a series of heart attitudes that revolve around self glorification. Right? Uh, and and that's that's what happened in, in the garden. Adam and Eve. Um, when they sinned, it wasn't it wasn't the the fruit is the fruit of something that's deeper going on. Um, it's this word, God says, I'm authoritative, don't eat that. I've given you all these wonderful good things, just don't eat that. And they don't take his word. They decide to take matters into their own hands and say, no, I'm going to be the measure of truth. I'm going to listen to Satan, because I want to be like God. And so, it's a matter of authority, and so that sin becomes this very deep-rooted issue that is down deep in our hearts. And so that is what the flesh is doing in our hearts. So, The self, like I said, the flesh wants us to be on the throne. It's self-centered, and it's opposite of everything that God wants. And that is something that lives within us, okay? And when we trust Jesus, now he takes over the ruling king of our hearts. The flesh doesn't go bye-bye, though, okay? The flesh resorts to uh, guerrilla tactics, Mm -hmm. right? So whenever you overthrow a government, you see it all over the place, you, you, one government gets overthrown. The government that got overthrown, they go out into the to the to the countryside and they start attacking the, the the new government and trying to overthrow that government. That's what the flesh does, right? So that's why you are afraid. That's why you manipulate. Um, that's why we're apathetic about people going to hell. Okay. Um, it. These are all things that are within us that uh, are contrary to God. And so, when we're talking about being an evangelist, this is spiritual warfare. Um, This is a heart issue. Um, You have to recognize, here's what it usually is. I'm afraid, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to white-knuckle it, and I'm going to go out there and do it. Now, there is a sense in which you just need to go do it, right? And you'll see that God's going to show up, right, in that fear, but that is an act of faith. That is a step of faith. But what we see, like, if I can just learn more, if I can just try harder, then I'll be a better evangelist. But what God wants to do is fill us up with the gospel. Uh, is to fill us up with joy and peace and confidence in him that's going to overflow through us into a lifestyle of evangelism. Not events of evangelism. Right? But, but a, a, uh, a way of living, a way of thinking. Like the Gospels, you become fluent in the Gospel. right? You don't just speak it during Spanish class. Right? That's the way it is. Like, you don't just speak it at church on Sunday. You think the Gospel. Right? And so these three things, these uh, courageous, caring, uh, and what was the last one? Confident, Confident and they're opposites. These are a matter of the heart. These are a matter of the flesh. And so I want to look at each one of our friends uh, and and see how the gospel uh, does work in their hearts, in our hearts, to move past these fleshly fears that we have. Um, So let's apply the gospel to our friends and and to ourselves. So let's talk about Fearful Freddy. There's a fear of man, the Bible talks about. this is what... Fearful Freddy deals with. And so the gospel to him is small, right? And the reason it's small is because he's big and God is really small as well. And so his understanding of the gospel is not something that God has done, some amazing work that God has done. It's it's something that maybe he believes because maybe he did it under his own steam or, or whatever his theological grid is. But he is really big in his own picture, and God is really small. And so what that looks like is Freddie's problem, is that he is more concerned with his own reputation than God's reputation. He's more concerned with how people, what people think of him than what he is that people think of God. So how do we still think? And here's the question in light of biblical truth. How can we still think that we are such a big deal When the creator of the universe had to send his own perfect son to redeem us. How is it that we make that jump? Um, And I would say it's because we don't trust that in fact what God has said is true. See, Freddie doesn't really believe uh, or really understand or really realize how much he is in need of God's grace. Right, he doesn't understand that, and nor does he believe that God has really, really given it to him. He doesn't believe that he is as he is more awful than he thinks, and God is more gracious than he could ever possibly imagine. He doesn't get that, right? And so the result of that is uh, is that he still thinks he's got something to lose. There's still something of Freddie to lose. All right. Now, when you there's this wonderful story. Uh, the Jacob wrestling uh, with the angel, and who ends up being God, and um, after this, this interaction where they're wrestling and he hurts Jacob, he wounds his By the way, when you try to wrestle with God, like the fact that God doesn't smash you says something about God's heart. It's like I'm going to let you. I'll I'll hold you while you're, while you're trying to punch me. And but it, but when you try to run against God against absolute reality, you're going to get a limp, right? And this is Jacob. All right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced those limbs from your disobedience, right? I know I have. Um, but there's this time when the when the man asks Jacob as they're as they're kind of locked up, he's like, "Tell me your name." Now God knows Jacob's name, all right? But he wants Jacob to say it. Anybody know what Jacob means? The word? No. That, that that's what his name becomes. Isn't it? Usurper. Deceiver. Deceiver. So what Jacob's doing here is not confessing his sins. We're, we all do, we're all good at doing that, right? Yeah, I know I'm messed up. No, he's confessing himself. He's going deep. He's saying I'm a mess, right? I am an absolute mess, and I have I'm giving up on myself. This is Jacob giving up on himself, on his life of running, as a bandit, as a liar, just a sorry scumbag. That was Jacob. And he finally, you know, this is who I am. And that's what God wants to bring us to this point, to where it's, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested in you trying to pretend that you're not Jacob. And he's not interested in us trying to pretend that we're better than we are. He's interested in us leaning on him, lying on him, resting in him, and what he says about us as a God who justifies the ungodly. Now, if that doesn't get you fired up, I mean that is news friends you are free to be a sinner because that's who you are but it also means until you get there only only then will you be able to trust in God's power trust in God's goodness and and because you've disappeared right you won't be afraid of other people because as long as you've still got something to lose you will still work to impress other people because you don't realize all that God has given you. You you think that people's approval is going to give you something more when you already have all of God's approval, right? Um, In Christ, right? Listen, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, everything he did, God sees us as if we did the same thing. All of his righteousness has been credited to us. God sees you as if you had never sinned. As if you had never sinned. As if all of your hearts were, all of your thoughts, all the thoughts of your heart, all of your emotions were fully and totally in tune with Him, jacked into the heart of the Father, just like Jesus was. And he sees us that way. He sees you as spotless, as clean. And so there's no you. And I think what that means is a lot of us try to. Stop trying so hard. Uh I, I think trying so hard, look, when you're center stage, what do you got to do? When you're performing center stage, what do you got to do? You got to make sure everything's in its right place. Amen? Mm-hmm. I get, anybody here dance? Okay. So, like, you want to be on stage, you don't want to have, I mean, you don't want to have all kinds of bad makeup and all kinds of, you know, it's because everybody's eyes are on you. You don't want to misstep or you don't want to... Do the wrong pirouette or whatever. I don't know anything about dancing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or if you're playing, I love. I was watching videos the the night of uh, um, Rush. I, I love Rush. You, you gotta, you gotta go listen to Rush. Um, they don't make a mistake, period. Right. But I was, then I was listening to this other band, and it was a live show, and it was, you know they're all getting. And this one guy's hit a wrong chord. It's like, blah, you know, and it just did not work. And it didn't fit. And it was awful. He was on stage. And I think that's how we think of our Christian lives. We're on stage and we've got to sort of make sure that we get everything worked out right and make sure that God likes us enough and make sure that people see us the right way and I think that's because we still think there's some of us that we need to protect. Um, And God wants Freddie and he wants us to trust that everything he has said about him, about us, is true. Okay, In Christ. You know what that means? In Christ. So like um, you are, you are seen as a part of the whole of that which is Christ, um, we're His body. Like these aren't things that uh, God's not just kind of trying to use creative language here. You know, I mean, He's Paul in the New Testament. They're describing realities. This is who you are. This is your identity. It's not who you're gonna be when you finally get your crap in order. Okay. It's who God has said you are. Now, what that means is that God uh, wants, He wants to, uh, us to trust the finished work of Christ, and what this leads to is a joyful heart that is filled and satisfied. And what that leads to is a kind of self-forgetfulness. It's just a wonderful self-forgetfulness uh, whenever you understand God's love. You just don't care. I mean, it just who am I that I shouldn't be ridiculed? You know, it's like, that's okay. And and I know some of us don't think we'll ever get there, but by the power of God's Spirit, we will. He will expand our hearts to trust Him more and more about what is most important in our lives is what He says about us. And so this frees us to preach a powerful gospel without trying to make it seem cool, without trying to, to pull punches, um, and it frees us to have joy even in the midst of rejection. God is sufficient enough to be our joy and our confidence. Let's talk about apathetic and Helica here. There's a self-righteousness that she has, like a pharisaical self-righteousness and a a lack of compassion. And her problem is that she doesn't realize how sinful she is either, but it's a little bit different. She's a moral person who doesn't sin a lot externally. She doesn't do a lot of bad things. Um, And uh, because of that, um, she doesn't understand or she's been deceived because she, uh, about as to how dangerously prideful she is. All right. She thinks that her salvation is held together by herself. All right. Um, so the cross means little to me. Of course, it was an entry point to her back when she went to camp and, when she was at nine and she or she walked the aisle and it was a meaningful experience, but really her hope is not in Jesus day by day. Her hope is in herself, in her own ability to be righteous, to be good. And so what she needs to understand is that sin is not like a germ. Right? What did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they got on to him about his disciples not washing? He's like it's not what comes what, what a man puts into his body, but what comes out. What he's talking about is the heart. The problem is the heart. Sin isn't a germ that we're trying to protect ourselves from. Sin is a cancer that is inside of us. Right? You deal with a cold and cancer in two entirely different ways. Cold, you stay away from germs and you wash your hands and you do all these things. But like cancer, you gotta do some work from the inside out. Right? You gotta zap stuff on the inside. Right? And that's what God it's, that's what Jesus is talking about there. And we're all eaten up with this cancer. And that, But here's what she, she doesn't understand that God loves her because of his mercy instead of her sort of buying him off with her good works. All right? God loves you because love is something intrinsic to God himself. Mercy is something intrinsic to God himself. It's who he is. So he doesn't love you as some sort. He hasn't made a deal. Like you're not, it's not a side project for him, but who he is, is a God who loves to forgive broken people. She doesn't get that. She thinks that she's bought him off with her goodness. What does David say in Psalm 51? For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it a broken Or no, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is David. You will not live among sinners. You will not do what is necessary to be around people who don't know Jesus if you think you're so different from them. I think that's going to kill you. Or you'll treat them like a project. Like, oh, cute little sinner. Oh, poor you. You, know, pity. you don't want to pity people. You want to come alongside someone as a fellow sinner who is in need of grace. That will make you an evangelist that is relatable. An evangelist who understands brokenness. A lot of times, man, um, Christians don't know how to talk to broken people because they think they're so different. And you've got to understand what it's like not to believe. Because you've got to understand that you know what it's like not to believe already. That you don't believe all the time. And that it's not your good works that keep you saved. It is God's mercy that keeps you saved. It is the power of the blood of Christ and His resurrection, as you guys were just discussing, that keeps you in God's good graces. It is by God's Uh, Will alone that we are sustained in our faith. And so, you will not live among sinners if you don't think you're one. And you will not have compassion on someone if you do not understand compassion on yourself. If you do not understand that God has had great mercy towards you, then you will not be able to have great mercy towards someone else. And here's what you'll do. You'll see someone who is doing things that unbelievers do, which is sin. Right? And Christians do too, but they do it a lot more because that's their only nature. And you'll see it and you'll be like, what's wrong with you? Right? When are you going to change your life? Right? Like I did when I first started coming around Christians, that's what they did to me. And it's like, man, you need to... Because I was just a thug in high school. An absolute tire-slashing, mailbox-bashing, rich kid, thug. Like, I had no reason to do any of that. It's not like I was hungry... I didn't go steal stuff out of cars because I was hungry and needed to go sell it. At least that's somewhat noble. I just did it because I didn't, I just wanted to do something wicked, right? But they told me I needed to change my life, change my heart. They didn't preach the gospel to my heart. And friends, I'm telling you, God's heart is such that He would come into our broken world to save rebels. If you can't go into another person's brokenness, if you can't be uh, around uh, another person's brokenness, Um, Then you don't have the heart of God, because that's what He did, and that's what He did with you. He saved you, right? What does Paul say? For Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the chief, the chief of sinners. Paul was the most religious man you ever met, but he was prideful, more prideful than you can shake a stick at, you know, because he was his his religion. I'm sorry, his salvation was based on his own works, his own confidence. And he became uh, as nothing to him. So, are we willing to be in the brokenness of people, or do we have hit and run? Are we hit and run evangelists? Right? I'll, I might share the gospel with you. I might deign to step into down into your life, but then I'm going to come back in here to the BSM. No. or am I going to go into dorm rooms into people's apartments into their lives and then bring them with them with me here to the BSN so they can see the way God's people rejoice over the comfort of the gospel right, and so this is the kind of heart that begins to uh, make become, that makes a missionary honestly, makes a missionary um, we need to understand this about God, oh I, 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 actually the next one, so in the final one Let's look at um, Manipulative Martha. Manipulative Martha lacks confidence in the power of the gospel. All right? Martha's problem is that the gospel's power is limited to her own ability to persuade people. Like I said, to be a closer. Right? She sees it as her own ability to, uh, to, to persuade. And she assumes that if she doesn't do it, no one else will. So she has a small view of the Holy Spirit and a small view of, uh, and a big view of human agency and all that's happening in what's, in the, in the, and uh, when someone comes to Christ. Now, there's a flip side to this. Alright? There's a flip side to this, and many Christians stand down from evangelism because they're afraid they won't have the right answers. We already talked about that. That they'll muck it up somehow. Now, it's important to speak truthfully, but I want us to know this. Evangelism is not you talking someone into believing. That is not what we're doing here. All right? Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus is a lion, and he needs to be let out of his cage. Evangelism is letting the lion out of the cage. It's not you shucking and jiving and, and answering every objection and everything in order to get someone to agree with, with your premises no, man. There is what happened, like like sin, deadness. Like there's a deadness. You can't bring dead things back to life. That takes breath of God, pneuma, Holy Spirit. Right. That's what has to happen. Um, and so uh, there is uh, this presenting of the good news and trusting and praying that the Holy Spirit is going to move. In somebody, Let me ask you a question. How often do you pray for God to move in people's lives to be saved? Um, you can tell how much you really believe you're the key to someone's salvation by how much you pray. That's a great barometer. Um, and so, do you really trust that the Lord is interested in moving in someone's life and that he's able to save somebody? Um, I think we all have this. Um, we all have people in our lives that we don't think will ever believe right And so we just kind of don't even bother sharing the gospel with them. Or we see somebody uh, walking down the street where uh, we have an opportunity or they're, they're kind of different looking or maybe they don't match um, what you're used to Christians looking like. If, and if by the way, if you want to completely and totally shatter that, just go on a mission trip overseas and see people who are couldn't could be more different from you worshiping Jesus, it's the most insane thing. Um, and, and it kind of it's humbling because you're like, oh, I thought I was really needed here. you know I thought I was really needed. Um, it's so, sort of like Elisha who's crying to God about how bad hard things are and God's like, man I have people all over the place that haven't bowed the need to baal. It's not you. all right I'm, I'm at work here. I've got this. I've got this. But here's the thing. He gives us the opportunity to do it with him. It's so amazing. But how many times do we limit Jesus by deciding beforehand what's going to happen, right? Um, and I think we really put a big cap. I think you know what I'm going to not going to do that now. There's time for discernment, right? When someone is just a vicious anti doesn't want to listen to you or wants to argue the whole time or whatever, you know what? We'll we'll talk another time. Um, but I'm talking about like closing it, closing the door before you even open it um, with somebody. Um, Martha and we need to realize that God, and this is it, and and if if you... God is the primary missionary here. Okay, He's the missionary. Like The world didn't exist, and it was kind of going along, and then God came along and was like, hey, I'm going to make a church and try to save some of these evil people. No. God created the universe, spoke it into existence, upholds it by His very word. The fall happened, and God, the very first thing He does is pursue sinners, Adam and Eve. He says, where are you? And then right after that, he makes a promise. And that promise ends up being throughout the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, Jesus. God pursues sinners. He's the missionary. Okay? We've got to understand that. God's the evangelist. He's the one moving. He's the one working. We're not the ones who are charged with building the kingdom of God. He is going to build the kingdom of God and he invites you and I to come along with him. That shift right there will change everything in your life. If you understand that he is the one who is working out his plan, he is the one who is convicting people of sin, he is the one who is bringing a broken person like you or me into someone's life to deliver a message. Right? We get to be a part of that. But we are not the Holy Spirit. And if we do not understand that God is the one who moves in people's lives, then what we'll try to do is we'll try to manipulate them. Or we'll get really frustrated when they don't get it. You know, I teach, I'm a chaplain as well, um, and at a Christian school. And Christian school just full of kids like anybody else who are sinners and need Jesus. And a lot of them have professed Christ. I'd say most of them have professed Christ. But they don't don't get the gospel yet. And I'm preaching and I'm... I feel like, man, what I'm saying, I'm just shucking it. I'm just like, yes, this is awesome. And they're just kind of there like... "Mm," You know, they don't get it. Right? They just don't get it because they're 16. Right? And you don't get anything when you're 16. Okay? I get it, man. Um, But it's not until you get into college that you just start to think. You know? And it's not true, everybody across the board. But but I trust. I know. I mean, it's in my church week to week. Like, we preach the goodness of God's grace. We worship Jesus. I mean, and and I feel like we really make a big deal of Jesus and people's hearts are being transformed in our church but you know what, where I'm going right after this, I'm I'm going to a meeting um, with a wife and a husband who have been separated for six months because of his emotional abuse and they've been members of our church and so like, when are they going to get it? I used to freak out about that. You know what though? I trust that God's Holy Spirit is at work even in the mess of this situation. And God's Spirit is at work in all of these situations where you are going to minister. You have... Hey, we just got done talking about... Y'all just got done talking about the, the resurrection. What happens after the resurrection? The ascension. And when He ascends, He goes to the right hand of the Father and He pours out gifts onto His people, beginning with the Holy Spirit. Guys, we way neglect the Holy Spirit in our thinking. The Holy Spirit... We are in the age of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have the Holy Spirit. Like, that's God's end game. Okay? I mean, Revelation 22 is God's end game. But in the meantime, He's given us this His Spirit as a down payment to empower us, to comfort us, to convict us, to help us along. And so we are in partnership with God and on mission. We've got to see ourselves uh, and now, what that means is God is sovereign over all places, all times. Like there's not a God doesn't have a like a Sunday morning time when He becomes God and then turns it off after Sunday. Like what that means is we're missionaries all the time, and this is where we get into the lifestyle. It's not just an event. No events are good. This is you got to train. You got it'll get you over your fear. Um, but the end game here is for us to be in partnership with God and His Holy Spirit to to see the gospel and all to see the life through the lens of the gospel, to see people through the lens of the gospel. Not just as lost people, but as brothers and sisters who need the gospel all the time. The gospel. So what we do is we go around, we water. We just we just preach truth and goodness and love. And what happens in Ephesians four? That it built the church, the body, is built up in love. That we would be this uh, anti, I'm sorry. This upside down picture of humanity of people who love one another, who forgive one another, who are absolutely transformed by God's grace and mercy. This is where God is taking us. This is what I want for you. Um, I, I think want, I want it for myself. I'm not there either, right? I don't trust Him all the time. I'm afraid. I'm apathetic, uh, and I am. Uh, uh, I, I think the thing I'm, I'm not manipulative anymore. I think that's the thing that God's. Uh, gotten out of me I think he's really he's really taught me to trust in the Holy Spirit and that's through a lot of lumps a lot of trying to manhandle situations and trying to change people under my own strength and you've got to trust that the Spirit is at work and then as we do this we trust him he's going to shape our hearts and we'll become courageous caring and confident any questions? I guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you guys the thing is, if you have any questions about like maybe like fears, things that you guys have encountered that you want to like ask him, like you can also ask those questions. It's just anything that you like guys situational stuff, yeah. Yeah. I'll talk through it. The questions you might have about specific things. My feelings aren't hurt. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. What time is it? all right. What you saying?